So we're going to continue in Philippians 1. If you've got your Bible with you, please open it to Philippians, the first chapter, go to verse 27. We're going to go all the way to chapter 2, verse 11, which means we're going to make some fast progress this morning. Paul is making the move today now to talking about us and how we might live as Christians and what that might look like. And he makes this great move in chapter 2, starting to focus on Jesus. And I'll tell you what, if, if you're struggling for joy, today is a good day for you because uh, he is going to let us know that our hope and our joy is found in Jesus. So start out with Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. I'm going to read all the way through so that you have an understanding of everything that we're going to cover. Then we're going to go back and we're going to break it down a little bit. So chapter 127 of the book of Philippians. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of cord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or deceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's good stuff. Paul's writing this from a, a prison cell. And he keeps talking about joy. He keeps talking about rejoicing. It, it seems like there's just nothing in the world that's going to shake Paul. And I think that part of what he wants us to grasp, what he wanted the church in Philippi to grasp, is that your joy doesn't have to be shaken by your circumstances. Here's what it is to live as a Christian, he says, but then going on, he says, here's the one that we believe in. This is the author, the perfecter of our faith. This is Jesus. This is the one who gives us the reason for our joy. So let's start breaking it down. Going back into verse 27, and, and we're going to go quickly here. Only let your manner of life be worthy. What that really means in the Greek, and you've got to remember now that these folks are in a Roman colony. It's, it's the kind of the southern introduction into Europe. But a lot of retired military people live in Philippi. It, it was a pretty nice place to live. But it was a Roman colony, and they very much understood themselves as Romans, took great, great pride in being Romans. And so they understood to live worthy. But what he's really saying when he says, live your, uh, let your manner of life be worthy, what he really says in the Greek is, be worthy as a citizen. 
And that spoke to these Romans because they were proud to be Roman citizens. But Paul's actually kind of having a little bit of a play on words because what he's saying is as Christians, you're no longer first and foremost Romans. You are now longer first, you are now first and foremost Christians. There's a dual citizenship that he's talking about. That's kind of what his words are implying here. And the same is true for you and I. You do realize, right, that you are dual citizens. You, you may be a citizen of Canada and the United States. This is different. As Christians, we're citizens right now in this lifetime of planet Earth, but we are eternal citizens as Christians of our home in heaven. And, and what Paul is doing is he's really getting them to recognize that, let your manner of life be worthy. He's saying, live your life in a way that is different from the people around you. That they understand that you are a worthy citizen of heaven, not just a good citizen of a Roman colony. And he says, life be worthy of what? Of the gospel of Christ. What, Christ, what is the gospel of Christ? It is the good news of Jesus. That is what we should be living our life preaching and proclaiming, right? That's the thing that people should know about us. And so these folks are living worthy of a life under Caesar. But Paul is saying there's a lot more than that. There's more than just living as a citizen of Rome. Our, our allegiance as Christians, the allegiance of the Christians in Philippi, Paul was saying your true allegiance needs to be to Jesus. Yes, you're living under Caesar, but your real allegiance needs to be to Jesus. We have to realize that as citizens with dual citizenship, our leader is really Jesus. And so you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again. In America today, we are being pushed hard to identify with a political party because those folks that are doing that pushing and the arguing and the dividing, they, they want to separate us. And so in America today, you can be a Democrat, you can be a Republican, you can be a few other different things that don't seem to get many votes, and now it's okay even to be a socialist. There's a brand new thing coming out out there. But here's the thing. If your allegiance is to one of those parties and people recognize you and they know you to be a Democrat or a Republican or a socialist and they don't know where you stand as a Christian, you're serving the wrong king. That's not a popular message in America. But you think about it. What do you put out there on social media? What do you and your friends talk about? Do you talk about politics and how much you love or how much you hate what's going on right now? Or you talk about King Jesus? If people know you to be more Republican or Democrat than they know you to be Christian, you are serving the wrong king. We serve a king who gives us citizenship in his eternal home in heaven. He goes on, he says, so that whether I come to you, uh, come and see you or I'm absent. See, here's the thing. Paul is in jail. And what he's saying is that your call doesn't change whether I'm with you or not. Your purpose, the reason that you exist in Philippi as Christians today, doesn't change whether I'm there with you or not. The reason that you exist as a Christian in the New London, Spicer, West Central area doesn't change based on your situation or your circumstances. God's called you to be a Christian right here in your family, among your friends, the people you work with, and the folks you go to school with. It doesn't change based on your circumstances. And Paul says, I need you to realize that whether I'm with you or whether I'm not, your call stays the same. He goes on, he says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul's desire, Paul's writing as a pastor here. 
Paul's writing as the pastor that founded this church and has a great love for these people. And he says, I want you to be in unity. I want you to be together. I want you to have one mind. Stand firm together in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not firm in what you want. Not firm in your plan or your agenda. Stand firm in the power of the Holy Spirit. Be of one mind. Be in unity. Be together as a group of people. And then I love Paul because he uses the word strive. Paul probably, as we talked about last week, didn't sound like much of an athlete. But Paul talked about a lot of athletic language, running the race, striving for the goal, winning the race. Paul understood that a lot of people are competitive. When he talks about striving, that means pouring everything you've got to accomplish a purpose. And so he uses that word very, very intentionally here. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Can you imagine if we strove... Is that a word? Should be. be. I just made it up. You understood it. If we strived together, that doesn't sound as good. If together we were striving for the gospel with one mind and one purpose and unity, do you know the difference that we would make in this area? Just one church with a couple hundred Christians of one mind with one purpose striving for the good news of the gospel to reach the people in our area. Could you imagine if we let our differences fall apart and we worked toward one goal, if we strive together? That's what Paul's talking about. He says, you know, what's the thing that we strive for? The good news of the gospel, our faith in the gospel, not in our best efforts or our great plan or the the awesome thing we want to do in some ministry. No. And here's the reason, because Paul knows that those people in Philippi, just like you and I, are surrounded by a lot of people who are dying for lack of hope. They're dying because they don't know Jesus and there's no one willing to get out of the comfort zone and tell them. He's saying, strive with one purpose and unity and one mind. And what is that? The gospel of Jesus, the good news. People who don't know the good news of Jesus don't know hope. And he's saying that we in the church, we're the ones that need to be doing that. So they're dying for a lack of belief. And so what I'm going to ask you is, what are you striving for? Who are you striving with? What is the goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Because so often when we live outside the gospel of Christ, we strive for things of our own ambition and we end up striving alone. And Paul says, put your effort into working together. One mind, one spirit. Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. The people out there who are dying without hope are dying because they're all alone. And when we live for ourselves, we're living all alone. And we need to learn how to work together. And those people, don't be frightened by anything by your opponents. He's talking then about the Roman soldiers. He's talking about people who had deep Roman pagan beliefs. Those are the opponents, the people that stand against you for your faith. I want to ask you this. Has anyone ever confronted you because of what you believe as a Christian? If they haven't, do they know what you stand for? If they have, you understand Paul. Are you striving for the good news of the gospel for the sake of the people around you? That's what he's talking about. So often we see battle lines drawn, and man, in America, are we getting good at this. This whole political season, blue states and red states and Republicans and Democrats and socialists and this and that and the next and the other, and everybody knows where everybody else stands, and nobody gets along to the point that we can't even have reasonable conversations anymore. And Satan is having a heyday dividing us. And so Paul is saying, as Christians, look to what unites us, unity in the spirit, because if we're not 
being united in the spirit, we're being divided by the enemy of God. And Christians are willingly jumping into that division. I'm going to give you an example. I decided to do something that I don't do very often. I spent time yesterday on Facebook as I was preparing for this morning. And I was reminded very quickly why I don't spend much time on Facebook. I saw friends, and I went to look for friends who I know are Christians who don't agree with me. And it didn't take me more than a couple of clicks to get into long 50, 70, 120 comment arguments tearing each other apart because they didn't believe on some didn't believe the same thing on some political issue. And I thought, my goodness, what a pit. And you want to talk division, that's it. So I want to ask you a question. How many of you yesterday, be brave, raise your hand. How many of you did yesterday what I did and jumped onto Facebook for a while? Come on, raise your hands. Yeah, do you see any division? Yeah, let me ask you a question. For all those of you that raised your hand that you were on Facebook yesterday, how many of those experiences led to joy? If Facebook doesn't give you joy, why are you doing it? If you realize that Facebook is the seat of division among a generation in America, why do you do it? See, here's the deal. you got two alternatives. I would be willing to bet, do not raise your hand, I would be willing to bet that however much time you spent on Facebook yesterday was more than the time you spent here in God's Word. Why in the world do Christians willingly dive headlong into we know is going to be the place that is being divided dividing us by the enemy. Why do we do that? And yet we avoid God's word because, well, that's not interesting. That's not exciting. That's not whatever. Do you realize what Satan is doing to us? Paul says, one spirit, one mind. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you. You know what's been granted to you? What's been granted to you is eternal life in Jesus, salvation in what he did for you that you cannot do for yourself. What has been granted to you is joy. I want to remind you that maybe one of you halfway raised your hand and said you found joy, which was one more person in first service. Maybe you found joy in Facebook yesterday. If you don't find joy there, why do you do it? You are choosing to swim in division otherwise. And Paul says, be of one mind, be of one spirit, be of one purpose. He says, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Here's the crazy thing about Paul. Paul thought suffering was kind of cool. (laughs) Paul saw suffering as a privilege. Paul saw suffering as a sign of him being active in the faith. He was suffering because people didn't like his message. Have you honestly ever suffered because of what you believe? Has anyone ever spoken ill or treated you poorly because you talked about Jesus in a way they didn't agree? If your answer is yes, congratulations, you identify with Paul. If your answer is no, Paul would say you're missing out. Because in that suffering, the only thing that carries us through is our faith. Our faith brings us in, our faith carries us through, and our faith is greater on the other side. Paul says suffering is a privilege. And yet as Christians, we would rather dive into the pit that is Facebook than to talk to someone who is dying because they don't know Jesus. Verse 30, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. 
Paul's talking about this group and what he's trying to do is identify with them. And he says, if you're suffering even a little bit, you can understand what I'm going through. Now, Paul has been stoned and left for dead outside of the town. He's been through all kinds of mayhem and and storms, and he's gone without food. He's been beaten. He's been jailed. And he's doing this really kind thing going, you know, you can understand where I'm at if you've suffered. Now, none of us understand where Paul was. But I also think none of us enjoy the faith that Paul had. And if Paul had his way, we would all suffer. Because what what he does is when, when you suffer as a group for one cause, you grow in faith as a group. Verse two, and he's making or chapter two, rather, he's making this great turn. Now he's going to start talking about Jesus. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. These are the minimums of life as a believer. These are the bare minimums. And Paul says it in a voice that assumes that people have it. This is what, as a Christian who is living for Jesus, this is what we experience. Encouragement in Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy. I'll add sympathy for others. That should describe our lives as Christians. How many of you felt that on Facebook yesterday? You know the one time when you maybe do? Is when people send you all those birthday greetings. That's maybe the one time. And Paul is saying that those feelings in the life of a believer is what we should experience all the time. Verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. See, Paul says that my joy would be complete when you live in love in the way that Jesus died, that we can live in love. When you live in love in his joy, when our joy is in Jesus... And that's where we look to for the source of our happiness, our fulfillment, our contentment, and our peace. Not social media or whatever else we fill ourselves with. We begin to align ourselves with the mind of Christ. And Paul says, there's the beginning of joy, the mind of Jesus. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Ah, We struggle with this one. Humility is something we don't understand very well in West Central Minnesota. We've got a very Scandinavian idea of it, and it's completely wrong. The the understanding that we have of humility couldn't be further from what godly humility really is. And the fact is, we're kind of hardwired for for conceit and for self-interest. We kind of receive every situation that's in front of us, every bit of news, everything that happens to us, and we wonder, how does this affect me? And yet Paul is saying is if you're of one mind and you're living for the gospel, you're more concerned about those people who do not yet know salvation in Jesus. And so this whole idea of humility, of counting others more significant than ourselves, that's a rarity among us. And yet Paul says those are the things that mark a follower of Jesus. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Part of our job as a Christian is to care for other people, and that means to providing for them and and, and to helping to take care of very practical needs. But more importantly, as eternal creatures, we need to be concerned about them on an eternal scale. I've used this example before, but I think it works. Take care of yourselves. Look out after your own interests, but also the interests of others. If you've ever flown on a jet, the first time you maybe paid attention. Every time after that, it's when you plug your headphones in or you put your iPod uh, in your ears or do whatever you're going to do to avoid the noise around you. The flight attendants carefully take you through all kinds of information that could help you in the event that your life was in, gender, uh, in danger, right? 
Your life is endangered. They're going to tell you all the options. They're going to tell you the doors. They're going to talk about all kinds of different things. Now, one of my favorites, when I finally actually heard it, in the event of an, in the event of an unplanned water landing, that's a crash. <laughs> right? I realized that when we flew from Minnesota to Florida all the time. And I realized there's really no water between here and there. If we land in the water, it's a crash. But they've always got this part that says in the event of unplanned a loss of cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will drop from the ceiling above you. And they show you how to stretch the hose. They go boop, boop on the hose. And they show you how to put it around your neck or around your head and to tighten the strap and to put it snug against your face. And they say, make sure that you secure your own oxygen mask and that it is working before you begin to help others secure their own. You have to take care of your own interest if you're going to be any good to anybody else. And I always think it's interesting. I wonder in the moment of a crash if people suddenly say, I wish I would have listened. I think they covered this. But do you know how significant that is in the life of a Christian? Paul doesn't say don't look after your own interests. In addition to. Make sure that you've got the oxygen mask. What's the oxygen mask? Well, the oxygen mask is the good news of the gospel of Jesus that we get out of God's word. Right? So, so here's the thing. How in the world do you expect to be any good to anybody else when, when you're frame of reference for air is Facebook. If you put the equivalent of Jesus being purified oxygen and God's word being purified oxygen, what kind of toxic sludge are you breathing from Facebook? You can't be any good for anybody else if that's your primary source of information. Take care of your own self-interest. We've got to get into God's word. We've got to get around other believers. We've got to make sure that we're breathing God's word into us rather than all the other stuff that the world would have us suck up and fill our lungs with. That's why we talk about joy. Jesus, others, yourself. There's the order. If you're going to serve others, you've got to make sure the oxygen mask is on. You know what? Then you get to forget about your own needs. You get to take care of other people. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This mind that he's talking about isn't ours on our own. We don't get it because we ask for it. It's in Christ Jesus. It's a gift from him. And he's going to talk to us about how it is that we can have a mind like Jesus. You say, I'd like to stop thinking like myself. I'd like to stop worrying about what I want so much. And I'd like to start thinking about what Jesus wants. What Paul is really saying is the mind like Jesus. We translate translate that to say, listen up. All right, so here we go. This is good stuff. Talking about Jesus now, verse 6. Who though he, though Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What that means is, and that's confusing, Jesus understood who he was. He knew he was the Son of God. But he never used that to his advantage. And when it says something to be grasped, that's what it means. He never used the fact that he was God to his advantage. Jesus came to earth, could have been anything that he wanted to be, could have done anything that he wanted to do, could have created any situation or outcome that he desired to create. How do we know that? Because he is God. Show me the one time that he did not live like a servant. Show me the one example in the Bible when Jesus looked to his own interests rather than the interests of others. If Jesus was hungry, he fed other people. If Jesus was hurting, he healed other people. If Jesus was tired, he ministered to other people. When Jesus wanted to get away because he needed space and the people followed him, he talked to them. Show me the one time when Jesus didn't live as a servant. There isn't. Always, always, 
He's in the form of God, but he doesn't count equality with God, something to be grasped. But it was never anything that he took advantage of. Jesus came and lived his entire life as a servant, all the way to the point that he allowed himself to be turned over and betrayed by one of his closest friends, to be taken into custody, to go through a a, a group of ridiculous trials, to be jailed, to be awakened early and to be flogged and beaten to within an inch of his life, to have the top piece of a cross strapped across his shoulders and paraded through town to the outside of town, away from where good people lived, to the outskirts of town where he'd be visible as a warning sign to anybody who would walk by and nailed to that cross and left until he was dead. At no point in that process did he ever stand up for himself. Do you know why? Because all the way to the cross, all the way to his death, He lived and died as a servant. He lived and died for you and I. And so often we live our lives for me. You live it for you. And the example Paul is saying that Jesus, who was God, didn't even take advantage of that. What's the mind of Jesus? It's to live and to die for others. Hebrews 12.2 says, because of the joy that was before him. It's talking before he died on the cross. Jesus knew what was coming. He'd seen Roman crucifixions. He knew how painful they were. That wasn't the joy. What the joy was, that he was able to serve you and I. The joy was that he was able to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The joy was that Jesus knew that he would give you and I a gift, that all we have to do is receive, that we can never, ever, ever come up with on our own. And then he had the joy of eternity in heaven, spending all of time, with those people who accepted his gift. That's the joy. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the mind of Jesus. And he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Not only did Jesus come to live as one of us and choose to live as a servant, he lived as a servant for everyone around him, and he died for us. When what he could have done is called it all off. The conversation is recorded. God, if you have to do it this way. Jesus knew what was coming. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I've said this before. You talk about humility. Humility is the son of God hanging on a cross, dying for sins that he never committed. I've used my definition of humility before. I'll do it again. If you're a note taker, write it down. Humility is knowing who God created you to be and living fully as that person. Humility is knowing who God created you to be and living fully as that person. There's no need to apologize for that. There's no Minnesota Aji. There's just living fully for the purpose that you were created for. Jesus was sent to earth and humbly lived and died for the purpose that God had sent him for. Verse 9, therefore God, what's God's response to a life like that? Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him that that name that is above every name. See, there's there's one difference between God and and us. and There's a lot of difference between God and us, believe me. God's ways are not our ways. When God exalts someone, they stay exalted. When you exalt yourself, it lasts for a little while and then you fall. And when the Bible says that God exalted the name of Jesus, it's forever and for everyone. It is for all of eternity that Jesus' name is going to be exalted. Bestowed on him the name that is above all names. Above every name of every other good person, 
every other great Christian, every other religious leader, politician, president, or king. Why? This is where it gets to the good part. So that at the name of Jesus, at the mere mention of the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, every knee of every person, without regard to what you believe in this life. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the deal. One day in heaven, it doesn't matter how faithful you pursued another religion. It doesn't matter how much you believe there's a million roads that lead to God. It doesn't matter what you believe or how good you were or how much money you gave. If you don't call upon the name of Jesus and accept his free gift of salvation and the forgiveness of your sins... You're going to be on the wrong side of this conversation. But you know what? Everyone's going to do the same thing. Everyone, believer or not, is going to bend their knee and they're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every time. I always find it interesting, people on earth that say, I don't believe him. I just don't believe it's true. That's okay. That's your choice. God gives you that choice. I'd love to help you make a different choice, but that's your choice. But the day is coming that you will confess that you were wrong. You will confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. And it isn't even to glorify Jesus. See, God is the one that exalted Jesus. That's all to the glory of God. Every one of our lives here on earth gets to be about beginning that, confessing the name of Jesus. There are people around you right now who do not believe in him, who do not know who he is, do not have a relationship with him, and they are dying in that disbelief. And all that we have to do, and it may mean that you get made fun of, it may mean that you have to suffer a little bit. It may mean that someone laughs at you. Your job isn't to get them to believe. Your job is to tell them the good news of Jesus. Because either now, in this life, and you have the privilege of being a part of it, maybe, or in eternity, when we stand in judgment, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, Paul's encouraging us to be one in the Spirit. Paul's encouraging us to work together as a church, not in our preferences. But in God's plan of salvation for people, that's what Paul is talking about. This, this small group of faithful believers in the midst of this Roman colony who he's saying, make sure you remember that you're citizens of heaven as much as you're citizens of earth. And that all of your life should be about the good news of Jesus. Presidents change. Political tides change. Beliefs and values and morals change. You know, the one thing that doesn't change is King Jesus. That's one thing that's never, ever going to change. And so the question is, the question is, who do you serve? Because at the end of the day, I really believe, I spent a lot of time thinking about, praying about this this week. At the end of the day, you really serve one of two people. You serve King Jesus or you serve yourself. And in serving yourself, what you do is you align yourself with the beliefs and, and the party and the power of whoever it is that accomplishes what you want to accomplish in the world. And that's about serving you. At the end of the day, every single one of us either serves King Jesus or we serve ourselves. Who do you serve? And my question is, if you're serving yourself, if you're not serving King Jesus, how much joy is that giving you? How good do you feel about it? How much peace and contentment do you have in chasing down your own dreams and agenda and realizing your own problems and living in your own sin? How much joy does that bring you? My guess is about as much as Facebook brings us when we jump on there. Because you know what? Here's what I realized yesterday. I did feel a little better about myself because at least I wasn't as angry as those people. <laughs> that is a really, really low bar. 
And maybe because I have the privilege of talking to you today, I went to my Bible again. Maybe if I didn't, I would have gone and done something else. But I had a responsibility to preach today. And so I went to my Bible. And you know what I found? Joy and peace and contentment. I found Jesus. And I knew he'd be there. And there's some of you who try to put Jesus on Facebook. I understand that. I'm not taking it away from you. But are you going to serve Jesus or are you going to serve yourself? Because at the end of the day, that's really what it amounts to. Either we live to serve ourselves and we live that way. Or we live to church, serve Jesus and we serve others. The Son of God, the one who came to earth to serve you and to die for you and to be raised from the grave that we could be raised to new life with him. That's a whole lot more than I can do for myself. So the question really is, who are you going to serve? And are you going to live like you're serving the one who you call king? Because too many Christians are giving the message to the world that we believe in Jesus, but we serve ourselves. And the fact fact is, as a disciple, we just can't do that. If we've been saved by the death and the resurrection of Jesus and we're a new creation, we don't get to serve ourselves anymore. Now we get to spend all of our life and focus all of our energy on chasing that joy that comes from serving King Jesus. Who are you going to serve? Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for a man who just... It's just amazing reading him because he finds joy in everything. Suffering, imprisonment, beating, having rocks thrown at him. God, I just, I can't imagine having that depth of faith. And yet there it is as an example for all of us. And God, what I would pray is that we would have some understanding of that, that you would bless us in the power of your Holy Spirit to just to grab onto a little bit of it that might push us forward to a deeper faith, to a deeper joy, to following Jesus as our king and to stop serving ourselves as our own king. God, help us to to live in joy, Jesus and then others and then ourselves. In the name of the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, your only son. Amen. We, got, we did a video. Marin, Marin did a, a challenge for us. And so she had some of us. Uh, oh, is that we going on? Hello, yeah, there welcome it is. to Moments with Marin. I'm Marin. And on today's video, I had asked the team members here at the Open Door Christian Church to do a joy effect challenge, is what I like to call it. And basically, what that is, is that um, just putting the message that, that we have on Sundays and um, going and taking it out into the community by uh, just serving others and putting ourselves last. And so I had asked him to do that and then come back to answer two questions um, for this video. And so this is what they said. So how did you serve others during this challenge and how did that affect your joy? What a great question. About two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to visit with an individual who just lost somebody. This individual is just really grieving and I had the chance to go and sit and listen. Here's the backstory as far as how it affected my joy. I was having a bad day. I was having a day where I was carrying a lot around in my head and I was just not dealing well with it. And I had to set that aside to go in and serve this person for a couple hours of just listening. And I realized after the conversation, as I was leaving, all my stuff was gone. I had a joy and a lightness that was just so good. When you first asked us, you sent an email about having us think about it. And so I decided because restaurants were going to be opening up, I thought it would really be cool to just like extra tip because everybody's looking forward to going back to restaurants. And that was kind of my idea. And then I ended up getting a phone call from someone whose family member just 
had just hit rock bottom in a whole lot of different ways, and we started talking, and it just ended up being a great conversation. At the end, they said, well, would you just pray for us? And I said, yeah, let's pray right now. And we had this great prayer over the phone, and it completely changed the conversation. And I realized their voice and their demeanor was different, and, and mine had changed. And so the joy, where's the joy of bringing Jesus into a conversation? About three weeks ago, um, when it was like really, really windy, um, I was heading to the office, and as I was pulling out of my driveway, I look over at my neighbor's house, and they had like this tiny little vinyl shelter that was like vertical, and it was getting ready to like blow away. And I thought, okay, I could do one of two things. One, I could drive away and act like I didn't see anything, or two, I could call my neighbor and say, hey, your like shelter's about to like blow away. I was thinking about all the things that I had to do that day and how busy I was. And um, being able to stop and actually take time and help someone else when they had no clue what was happening at home. I was thankful that God kind of stopped me and said, what are you going to do here, Cindy? Are you going to just go about your business and do what you need to do? Or are you going to stop and actually take time for someone else and not think about yourself? So that's what I did. And that's where I got the joy. So something that's always been on my heart is foster care. And so I thought, what is a way that I can serve and help those kids? I reached out to a friend who does a lot of foster care work, and she said, actually, we have this whole room full of clothes that are ready to give to foster families who need them. And I would love if you would just come and sit and pull clothes with me. So my uh, 10-year-old and I, we went and folded clothes and sorted them for um, distribution for families who need those for foster care. And it was just so simple, and it was like two hours two hours out of our day, and it was this beautiful conversation that she and I could have. So it just changed my perspective. I just slowed down a little bit. I just loved on my kids more, and it just brought me so much joy. I could just be present and be be there. So you can catch the whole video with the rest of the staff uh, on all of our social media outlets. Uh, it's about eight minutes long. Everybody else got to be a part of it. We want to challenge you to start thinking that way. What can you do? To just make a little bit of a difference in somebody else's life. What are the opportunities that God puts before you that you can take advantage of? Matthew 22, Jesus is being challenged by some people that wanted to trip him up. They were some church lawyers, basically. They said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second like it. Now, they asked him for one, but he says a second like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Joy. Jesus, others, yourself. What can you do this week to serve your king who was a servant that served people? We can love Jesus. We can love others. We can teach people to love Jesus. But what can you do to show the love of Jesus to somebody else?